We're on to uh, lesbians in horror. Was yeah. this one that was prompted by someone besides me? <laughs> it's filmed in the same building where they filmed Rocky Horror. It's the same big castle. Nice. That's awesome. It is such a great movie, and it's PG because nothing happens. Right. Although, you know, your kids scare the shit out of your kids. Welcome back to Fright Club Live. Taping this as we always do, second Wednesday of every month from the beautiful Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. Such a great spot for horror, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here coming up. But uh, the latest edition, we're going to talk about lesbians in horror. We are going to, and you just want that's that's a like a shock headline. It is, you know, it is. It's you a want, hot take. It's, it is but, a hot take. Yeah, but and this is the first time maybe that I can remember that, that our the movie we're showing tonight is number one no, on the list. No, it's not the first time. It's, it's just, one of the, it's no, one of the no. few times. It's, it's been a while. But it's, it's been a while. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so that's a bit, of a, a bit of a spoiler alert, but we got a, a few more to talk about. And before we get to that, we want to thank uh, Andy from Black Cat Shadow Podcast for our last podcast, the studio edition of Fright Club, which was, uh, that, was that turned out to be a really good conversation. It did. It was, it's always fun when the guest brings five completely different movies. We talked about the best twist endings in horror. So we actually talked about ten movies. Yeah. And um, and it was really fun. I, I have to point this. Actually, somebody pointed this out to me. Um, I, t- I said that Amy Steele uh, was the survivor from Halloween, Two. We all know who survived Halloween, Two. She's the survivor from te- from uh, Friday the 13th, part two. So that was an accident. And I apologize for that. And then Did the Monty, Twitter trolls just attack you. I, yeah, I got a little bit. Internet of shit beat for that. Up. I right. got a little bit of shit for that, which is fine. I'm supposed to know what <laughs> words come out of my mouth. Um, and then Monty was confused when I said that Sleepaway Camp was not a great movie. Silas also wondered their their guess was that what I meant was it's not a great movie. It's the greatest movie <laughs> Confirmed. No, fellas. that is That's not what, what I she meant, meant to at say. all. <laughs> <laughs> what we meant was that twist ending is unforgettable. It is. Also, Dzak has a great T-shirt. I just want to point that out as well. Of uh, Sleepaway Camp? Camp. Yeah. Is it very the face? You should go look it up. And Christmas is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> All right, so that was a lot of fun. So we're on to uh, lesbians in horror. Was yeah. this one that was prompted by someone besides me? <laughs> What? Oh, the research that George had to do. <laughs> you know, no, sometimes when I when I put together the list of the movies that we're going that I want to see that I think will be good to show, mm-hmm. then you know, right away I have to decide what our topics will be so that I don't accidentally use it up in, you know, while I wait for that movie to come up. And so when when we decided on this film as our classic for this year, there were a couple that we could have done uh, female vampires which we've already done. There were some, you know, there were and I just thought, well, we've done we haven't really spent time talking about how lesbians are represented in horror, mm-hmm. and that would be an interesting topic. So that was, yeah. it was just, you know, kind of, it just kind of came with the territory of this movie. Okay, so we've got a good list of five, but mm-hmm. there's a few that you wanted to mention that were kind of bubbling under and from one reason or another uh, didn't get on our final list. Yeah, so what I looked for uh, when I put together the, the, the final list was the, the lesbian or lesbians had to be uh, the main characters. They couldn't be just side characters. Your gay best friend. That's not what I was looking for. And I was looking for, um, well, something that was good, right? That, that wasn't just like, I'm going to have this hot girl bite this other hot girl a bunch of times. And then that's going to basically be the plot of the movie. I know, Bridget's leaving now. She's like, God damn it. 
one of the things I think that's great about horror right now is that there are a ton of films where the leads happen to be lesbians that has nothing to do with anything else. It's just this is how the character sort of dice uh, uh, landed, and and I appreciate that. And there are a couple. There's one called What Keeps You Alive. It, it came very close to making this list, um, and it's about a married couple, and they go away for their first anniversary, and as it turns out, it's also just long enough where the life insurance policy kicks in. And it's an interesting movie because they don't ever, it doesn't matter. Like, there's the, the, the fact that the couple, on, you know, one of them villainous, one of them not, is lesbians doesn't make any difference whatsoever. And I really appreciated that about this movie. And then there are a handful of others that could possibly have made the list, but then didn't, that I love. I love the movie May. I love the movie May. But it's not really about being a lesbian as much as it is about trying to find someone to love. Um, but it happens that Anna Ferris, who plays a lesbian character in the movie, is she's one of the it, her best performance ever, and it's one of the the most it, the the most fun performances that I've seen in a horror movie. So I almost put that on there just out of favoritism. Jennifer's Body is also another one that I think is really underrated. Eyes of My Mother has a little bit of that going on, but mm-hmm. not enough to make the list. Even though obviously we love that film, yeah. but then there are a handful that. Um, um, I just want to warn you, if you're looking for are not going to be on this list. Vampiro's Lesbos is not going to be on this list. It's just not. And then Vampires, uh, which has, like, these female vampires named, I think, Carol and Martha. Like, they're lunch lady names. You're like, that's not. Is that? All right. I guess that's sexy. But here's the reason that it didn't make the list, but I almost put a photo up. It's filmed in the same building where they filmed Rocky Horror. It's the same big castle. Nice. That's awesome. Over at the Frankenstein place? Over at the Frankenstein place. That's right. Awesome. Alucarda is another one that didn't make this list, but it might make the nuns list one of these days. And then High Tension. So I don't want to give away the end of a movie that's 15 years old or anything, but anytime you watch a movie and you're going, oh my God, of course she's the villain. She's gay. It's a bad movie. <laughs> anyway, so that was my rant. Okay. And now we can go on with the list. Yeah, let's get calm. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> no, that's good. So, no, those those are ones that a lot of them, you know, that did uh, merit a mention, but mm-hmm. for one reason or another, didn't make the top five. And uh, so let's get to it because we got a movie to watch here in a little bit. So we got to get through these. And number five is from 1983. I think it's one we've talked about before. A love triangle developing between a beautiful yet dangerous vampire, her cellist companion, and a gerontologist, The Hunger. What have you done to me? Forever and ever. And life signs terminate right here. The timeless beauty of Catherine Deneuve. The cruel elegance of David Bowie. The open sensuality of Susan Sarandon. Combined to create a modern classic of perverse fear. The Hunger. So just another tip of the cap to Susan Sarandon for going on to have a long and illustrious career after that hairdo, because <laughs> that will really, that would have killed a lot of lesser careers, would it not? It's bad. I know it was 1983. We all had some bad hair, but come on. She looks like the cover of Rio's, of Duran Duran's Rio album, and that that's just nostalgic fun for me. Um, uh, and and this is a movie. This bobbed in and out of the of the top five. I wasn't 100 percent certain I was going to put it on here, but Bowie is really the push over the cliff, regardless of the fact that he has nothing to do with a lesbian relationship in this movie. And he's, and he's really not in it very much. He's not. He's very no. cool when he's in it. Yeah. Cru- what do they call him? Cruel. Cruel elegance. Cruel elegance. That's right. That's what Cruel he's got. Cruel elegance. Yeah. 
And there's that great Bauhaus song as well. So, but the one going back to the theme of uh, of this podcast, it was interesting because originally the script called for Susan Sarandon's character to be drunk when they had their their encounter, and I and she was the one who thought it should be changed because she wanted it to be clear to be have no uncertain terms that her character was choosing to do that and not have under the influence of alcohol, which I think is a pretty important change in, in the movie. And to, to, to get in there, I think uh, that was actually something that uh, was well done. Yeah, and it's funny, her quote in a press release about that or in, in press coverage about that was like, you do not have to be drunk to want to have sex with Catherine Deneuve, <laughs> says Susan <Yeah>. Sarandon. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably noticed in the um, in the trailer there, the very first uh, movie for Willem Dafoe. That's right. Said that small part, we're dude at the phone booth. That's right. <laughs> I think was his uh, his actual character name. And I think we've mentioned this before as well, that back about 10 years ago, Warner Brothers announced plans for a remake, um, and it just never came to fruition. But yeah. I think it's kind of been in the in the pipeline, or at least in some sort of development hell for a while. Yeah, well, it's interesting. The movie didn't make any money when it came out in 1983, right. which is kind of a shock if you think about it. Just on Bowie alone, you mm-hmm. think that it would have made some money, and it didn't. And so uh, I guess it's not a surprise that it took this long, for somebody to decide they might make a sequel, and I hope they don't. I feel like there's uh, the way that it ends is mysterious and weird, and I think a good way. I think that it that it it leaves the door open for a sequel, but I hope that they don't do one. Yeah. Um. And one of the things that I thought was interesting about this movie is the relationship between Susan Sarandon and Miriam Blaylock, mm-hmm. who's she's the one really who's sort of you know elegantly cruel and oh, and, yeah. and really like phenomenally. So I don't think Bowie's character is more desperate. Um, And he does some terrible things. You know, he kills that little girl. But it's all just out of desperation that all of a sudden he doesn't realize. And a lot of what I think it is, it's not just that he's he's dying suddenly he didn't think he was going to, is that he's no longer sort of the object of of affection for this person that he's devoted lifetimes Mm -hmm. to. And I think that it, it makes for a really lonesome core to this movie that I think elevates it above just sort of the exploitation of seeing two really major movie star women make out with each other. Yeah, exactly. So that's number five on our list of lesbian horror from 1983, The Hunger. And I just realized, since we have a few new people here tonight, we were rude. We did not introduce ourselves what? at the beginning. So she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com. That's and we, we are, are here from. the second Wednesday of every month at that's the right. Gateway Film Center. And by the way, earlier in happy hours, since uh, our friend Natalia is here, we got an early look at the May list for Horror, Horror 101. 101. And let me just tell you, it's stellar. It is stellar. Stellar. And also, I'm going to go ahead and spill the beans. We're going to have a meetup for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for Horror 101 next month. So come back for that. So we will have all the details. One of my uh, absolute favorite movies of all very time. Very soon. You can watch. always watch our Facebook page at Mad Wolf Columbus. And, of course, gatewayfilmcenter.org. We'll have the complete lineup here released very soon. All right. Let's get back to the countdown number four. This one was from just last year. Might have slipped through the cracks for a lot of people. It's a confused girl trying to deny her feelings for a female friend who's in love with her. It's called Thelma. Hola, soy Anya. Thelma. ¿Estudias química? No, biología. This is one of those movies that you think you think you know where you're going. And then it just really changes direction in a very, very spooky way. It has one of the best opening sequences, like just brilliant, amazing, jarring, and gorgeous to watch opening sequence about a little girl and her dad 
and a hunting rifle in the snow. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, where it goes from there is kind of a coming-of-age film that reminded me in terms of Raw Carrie. and Carrie yeah. and Frailty even a little bit. Yeah. There's so, some religious fanaticism yeah, yeah, involved in the movie, yeah, for sure. And, and, and it, you start to think that the religious fanaticism plays a certain role, and then you come to realize later that the role is a little different than what you expected at the beginning. It's very surprising and really hypnotic to mm-hmm. watch. Um, but also, I mean, I think that it owes a great deal to Ely Harbo, who is the lead. I'm sorry. I always want to say Ellie, and I'm like, that's not right. Because she, I mean, she's in just about every single scene in the film, yeah. and she has such a subdued way about her that it's 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 fascinating to me that she can carry the film as well as she does. This is writer director Joachim Trier, Trier, and it's a Norwegian film, mm-hmm. and it's you know for some people you might think this is one of those movies where nothing much happens because mm. it does it has a very um, deliberate pace, but. Uh, Things do happen. And a lot and, of what happens happens off screen. Yeah. Um, which I think sometimes can be, uh, to a certain degree, if, it's, if it doesn't, if it's not the only thing that you get in a movie, it can be a l- even more, I think, haunting. And there's part of this feeling of just sort of creeping dread, even mm-hmm. though at times this, this, uh, these powers that the girl has can be a gift and a curse, mm-hmm. both, which I think makes it a fascinating uh, character study and definitely worth checking out if you, if you missed it from last year. Thelma, number four on our list of lesbian horror. And that takes us up to number three, a classic from 1963. A scientist doing research on the paranormal invites two women to a haunted mansion. One of the participants soon starts losing her mind. It's the haunting. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. Oh, this house. You have to watch it every minute. What does it take to convince you that the dead do not always rest in peace? That some houses, like Hill House, are born bad? Did this surprise anybody that this would make the list? <laughs> They're not exactly out with it in this movie, but I think that... Uh, well, it was 1963. It was, and it's based on the absolutely magnificent, glorious novel by Shirley Jackson that came out in 1954. But I think that there is a, a strong evidence to support the idea that Theo is a lesbian. and then, Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. well, especially now the the there's a TV series that was made, a Netflix series, in which the Theo character is just out and proud. She's just this badass lesbian. Um, so obviously they recognized something. Well, and there's the I hate you written in lipstick on the mirror mm-hmm. uh, after obviously some breakup. But yeah, because it was 1963, the censors, in fact, the censors had a, a, a rule that Theo was never to be shown touching Eleanor, mm-hmm. but they broke that yes, they several did. times. Yeah, and uh, so the you know the the theme I think makes it through. Maybe yeah. not maybe not at the time, but uh, I think this is a real testament to Robert Wise. I yes. think because not only did he direct it, I'm pretty sure he edited it mm. as well, and it's really well edited and shot. It's black and white as you could tell from yeah. the trailer, and you know the camera work is disorienting. And the way they play with the black and white light and shadow just really reinforces the whole haunted house yeah. element of it. And it's just, I think it's just really well put together. It's incredibly spooky, and it's a psychological terror. And it is actually, this is one where nothing happens on screen. There's a lot of noises, but nothing actually happens because, in fact, it, it, you don't know if anything does happen. It could all be in Eleanor's mind. I mean, the, it's such a great 
It is such a great movie, and it's PG because nothing happens. <laughs> right. Although you know your kids will scare the shit out of your kids. Um, <laughs> but but I do if I go if you go back to the Theodora character when they first start talking to each other, and she asks, you know, she she refers to a we. But uh, she says later she's not married, mm-hmm. you know, and then later when they're alone in the room, Eleanor says that she's unnatural. And there's a lot. There are so many hints that are dropped throughout this movie, but, but which alone wouldn't make it strong enough to 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 put it on this list. It's that the character is such a strong, positive character and that the two women have such a very close friendship that doesn't rely on anything unseemly. There's no, you know, lurid element to it. They're just bonding because of this situation that they're in. I just think it's one of those very rare, especially for 1963, positive images yeah. um, of, of you know, lesbianism. And I'm sure for some people they, they got the message, but I bet a lot of audiences back then didn't. Sure. Didn't get the message at all. Like, when I was a kid, I didn't realize the village people were gay. Wow. I didn't get that. I didn't know Boy George was. <laughs> so I'm dumber still. So you know what? Sometimes it just goes right over the audience's head. It just the does. It just but, does. Um, regardless, it's a really, like we said, a re- really well-constructed uh, movie and just a real, one of the, I think one of the top-notch, just haunted house movies. Absolutely. Although, as you say, it is so interesting that nothing really happens on screen. Right. But that it can still be so creepy. Uh, is a real is a real testament to the effectiveness of the haunting from 1963. That is uh, number number three. So moving up to number two. Well, if you wanted something to happen, <laughs> something's going to happen here. There isn't a lot of guesswork about no, the sexual orientation of these. No two. guesswork here. From no. 2016, a woman is hired as a handmaiden to a Japanese heiress, but secretly she is involved in a plot to defraud her. The handmaiden. Well, anybody that's seen this movie would know that there's no question it qualifies from the lesbian angle. Indeed. But, you know, I think there's some people that wouldn't consider this a horror movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could, I can see that. It's really not until you sort of get into the uncle's basement that anything super creepy happens. Right, right. Like, monstrous and all. But it's got such a weird vibe all the way through it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny because it's a con. The movie is about a con. And so, you know, a your brilliant brain, con. Yeah. And your brain spends a lot of time trying to tease out allegiances and crisscrossing and backstabbing, you know. And this other part of your brain is going, wait, look how weird this uncle is. What's going on in this house? <laughs> um, and it's, it's just, it's the most fascinating and gorgeous. Oh, the cinematography in this oh, movie will just, it will, is just insane. It really is. Um, it, it looks fantastic. Every frame, the way the shots are constructed and, and the colors mm-hmm. and everything about it, like it just, it does. It looks gorgeous. And the heist is, or not the heist, the con, con. I should say, is very involving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As is the sex. As is the sex. It's very descriptive. It's very specific. Yeah, and yeah. it's this is uh, director Chandler uh, Park. Park. See everything he's ever done. He's great. Everything. And, actually, during the script he's writing stage, uh, he and his female co-writer they, they sought the advice of a very good friend who was a lesbian for advice on trying to get you know the sensibilities of it right. Um, you know, I don't know if they had like a. Sex choreographer or whatever. <laughs> I but, think uh, everybody, I think they do, yeah. <laughs> Films it was, do. Yeah, it was, um, uh, it, it certainly got the point across. It did. 
was very gymnastic. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was. And, and it was one of those, it's one of those movies we were talking about it in, um, in the happy hour where you go into it not really knowing what you're getting into and suddenly you realize, okay, well, we're all friends now. Um. <laughs> exactly right. But, you know, and they were also very, he was very sensitive to uh, the actresses when filming those scenes. They had a lot of, lot of rules on set. There were no men on set when they, when they filmed it. A lot of the uh, shots were done with remote-controlled camera, and they really tried to make it, you know, as, as uh, easy on the actresses as they could. Uh, but they're great. I think the, ca- the cast is great. Oh, my God, the cast is um, so great. And even, you know, that, that part of it, that relationship is very central to the story. Mm-hmm. You don't really, as graphic as it is, it, it doesn't really come off as, as gratuitous. I no, don't think. I agree with you. And, you know, and it's funny because I think that had it been uh, a male-female relationship that started off as being so very sexual and then wound up being the, the relationship that ends, that the last, the, the balance of the movie, I don't think we would even be talking about that. Right. We would just be saying, well, of course, they're the leads. They're the romantic leads. They're mm-hmm. going to wind up together. So I think that it's a testament to this filmmaker that realizes there's no reason for it to be different, to be different just because there are both women. That's right. And like you said, just really see everything he does mm-hmm. because he's, he's always uh, produces movies that are so involving in this this one is certainly no exception. So that's number two on our list of lesbian horror, The Handmaiden. And before we get to number one, which is the one we're going to see tonight, keep in mind if you don't have a button, a Fright Club button, we got plenty down here. Got Fright Club t-shirts as well. And I was talking with a couple of people that were asking about, if you haven't noticed, our wonderful spring line of Fright Club fashions. Uh, <laughs> we do have a way to we could order anything you wanted with the Fright Club logo on it. We'll post about that. Uh, so uh, once we've got the, uh, the logo set up, so there's no charge for any of that stuff. Once the logo is set up. So anyway, we will post about that at MadWolf.com uh, and MadWolf Columbus on Facebook. But let's get to number one, and it's the classic. You try to do a, one classic every year, yes. right? And that is going to be the one for tonight. It's from 1971, mm-hmm. a newlywed couple passing through a vacation resort when their paths cross with a mysterious, strikingly beautiful countess and her aide. Her aide. Daughters of Darkness. <laughs> Who do you think I am? A kind of ghoul, a vampire. Oh no, my dear. How many nights tumbling and tumbling away into the abyss of time? Faster, my love. Faster. If you think these ladies are something, wait until you meet. Mother, she's something else. Okay, we found some quiet time, some alone time, as we always do. We don't want to spoil anything for a lot of people, I think, who haven't seen this movie Yeah, tonight. I'm so, kind of surprised. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting because I think this is one that could get some varied reactions. Yeah. I mean, it is a classic and it certainly has that that look about it. I think there are some things that maybe don't translate as well as other things. There are some hokey moments from looking at it through today's lens. Yeah, I think so. And it, and it certainly isn't action-packed, but it's um, very weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there are so many things that you just are like, huh, so, well, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the story, uh, you know, the newlyweds, they have their honeymoon pretty much invaded by this older lesbian vampire and her 
Her young lover. Yes, her her aide. So you know you have no idea how many hundreds of years she's been she's been haunting and she's been doing things like this. But she's certainly experienced, uh, especially <laughs> next next to the newlyweds, which is kind of a one of the undercurrents of the movie. You know, she is wisdom and experience, and they are youth and foolish mm-hmm. naivete, mm-hmm. and she just preys on them. Mm-hmm. She's Starts in so, you know, so sweet and so demure, mm-hmm. and then she's got a plan the whole time. And it's funny because one of the things she says when she's kind of regaling them with her, you know, worldly stories is some some archbishop one time, what did he say to me? Oh, he said, Elizabeth, you're such an innocent. And I am. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't think you are. No, no, not at all. This is director and co-writer Harry Kumel, and he's got a real way with atmospherics here in this one. It's got a an incredibly gothic uh, tone to it. It's all feathers and boas and, uh, you know, arching ceilings and, and corridors and things like that when they're in this hotel that they seem to be the only yeah. tenants, the yes. only guests of the hotel. There's one concierge, they say. I still don't know who is cooking these lavish dinners <laughs> and who the bartender is. The concierge does it all, I guess. But there's some very striking shots, I think, um, not only in the architecture, but also I loved there's it only happens maybe two or three times, but you get a wide shot with the countess's cape. Yeah. And she pulls it up very bat like, mm-hmm. very Dracula like, mm-hmm. and either envelops it around somebody or just leaves it up there like like wings. I really enjoyed those shots. Yeah. I think there are a lot of especially of of her, some great shots that make the most of her really decadent wardrobe. I yeah. mean, you know, her her clothes are so vampy and glorious and they're a nice counterpoint to Valerie who's always in complete white. She's always totally in white and she's got this real long blonde hair and it, it just is such a great Stefan also always he's he's got a fetching yeah. white uh, pants he, sweater he ensemble at he one point. He does. He does. <laughs> but you know, one of the things that I I appreciate about this movie is that Stefan there's something so sinister and wrong about him, but they don't explore it. Yep. It's just there. And it has to do with his phone call home to mother. And I find that that, to me, is also, it's just the masculine counterpoint to this Valerie-Countess relationship mm-hmm. that is developing. And I think that's really fascinating. I mean, I think there are so many things about this movie that are, they're just sort of handed to you without explanation that I, I just find so intriguing. But the, the reason I love this movie, though it does look amazing, and there are lots of weird things happening, is Delphine Sarig's performance yeah. is just glorious. It's such, it, you know, please be nice to me. You have to be nice to me. She's so, it's like this weary elegance that she has to this whole thing. I, I just absolutely love every minute she's on screen. Yeah, and you can see similarities in the hunger yeah. that we've already talked about yeah. in Catherine Deneuve's performance and the character and the the sort of triangle replacing mm-hmm. one with another. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you see I, a lot of that. I always, well, first of all, it's a, they make a good bookend to this list of movies, mm-hmm. I think. But also, I, I, I've always thought that, that Catherine Deneuve, I think, tried to you know, pull a little bit of, of this Bathory performance into her. She doesn't play Countess Bathory, but anytime you play sort of the female Dracula, that's, right. you know, you're going to draw comparisons. And I think that you can I think there are a lot of callbacks to this film in The Hunger. Yeah, in fact, there's at least one scene where all you see is the Countess's, like the bottom half of her face. 
in that shot, she really resembles Catherine Deneuve. Yeah. It's not until her entire face comes yeah. out yeah. into the light, well, so much as that she's right. allowed to be in the light, right. that you see it's totally someone different. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of similarities, I think, in the, in the performance and in the movie. And you'll see some bits of other things that might remind you of, of other movies, even things like The Turn of the Screw mm. or things like that um, in, in the way it's shot. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's certainly interesting watching it today. I'll be interested to talk with people after the movie who yeah. haven't seen it, yeah. how some of these things translate because, well, there's a scene with um, a big, it's not a vase, but a glass bowl yeah. and how that's used as yeah. kind of a weapon. Um, I don't know if that is that... <laughs> realistic now but okay so we'll see how that translates but but it's it's a good choice for if we're going to pick one you know that we like to do that you like to do for a classic yeah uh that's a good one so it should be very interesting to not only watch on the big screen but get the reactions so Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to watch it here in just a little bit so let's get back in there and get ready all right so how many people have already seen this Oh, just two. All right. Oh, three. Okay, great. All right. Well, we're not going to say anything about it. We don't want to spoil anything for anybody. Nope. But we look forward to, uh, we want to tip you off to what we've got coming for the May edition of Fright Club. Yep. On Wednesday, May 8th. We were talking about it a little bit earlier. We're going to show the movie The Lure, which is a Polish vampire mermaid musical. You just need to see it. You just need to see it. And our podcast is going to be on Sea Beasts. All right. That's the plan. So that's the next Fright Club Live, but we're going to have a Fright Club in the studio in a couple of weeks with a special guest. Daniel Baldwin from Bloody Disgusting is going to join us. And we're going to talk about dirty hippies. (laughs) Dirty hippie horror. You know what? I think we're going to be throwing that out, maybe on Twitter. Uh, to get some ideas, some people's favorites, uh, dirty hippie horror. So yeah, look, look absolutely. For look for that coming soon. That should be fun. And remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter. We're at Fright Club Pod. Hashtag Fright Club. All right, so this podcast will get all edited and done, probably be live on Monday. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts or always at uh, madwolf.com, and we'll post it on all our social media favorites. So um, appreciate you coming out. We're getting ready to watch Daughters of Darkness. Is that about it? I think it is. That's about it. Till next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. 